Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. We're uh, live here with my good friend, Fal Allen from Anderson Valley Brewing Company. Uh, live on Facebook. And uh, if you're listening live, go to the, uh, the little chat there, the live chat, and you can ask your questions of uh, Fal or myself, whatever, whatever questions you have Bruin related. The show is being sponsored by uh, Blickman Engineering. I don't know, Fal, have you ever had anything to do with John Blickman? You know John a little bit, but uh, we don't have any of his equipment, I don't think. I hear that it's quite good. It is. He, and he makes stuff from, uh, you know, the um, uh, more basic anvil brewing equipment up to the Blickman engineering stuff and even pro size. So if you're, if you're a home brewer and you really want to have some great uh, equipment to innovate your brewing, uh, check out Blickman engineering, blickmanengineering.com. And if you're, Wanted to go pro. Uh, they have, uh, I think, everything up to 10-barrel systems now. So uh, quite quite the range of great equipment. Uh, this uh, Earlier this year, I was on the, uh, on the road in Germany with a friend of mine, uh, uh, Jason Ledford from True Symmetry Brewing. And one of the places we stopped in was Dusseldorf. Alt beer. Ah, that was my favorite. I've got my, my Schlussel... Uh, shirt on right here yeah very nice and uh uh one of my favorites there and uh you know it got me thinking about you know alt beer is you know old old style ale is what uh you know the what you hear from the all the pundits and it got me thinking about you know what other old styles are there I mean, that's, you know, one old beer, I guess. They've been brewing beer there for 800 years. Uh, but the the beers have changed over time, right? It's not necessarily exactly the same recipe that they did 800 years ago. close, I bet. Yeah. And, and why is that? Is it just well, the technology or the, their customers changed? Or Well, it's probably a little of both, but definitely the technology part. I mean... We can't even have access to the same malt and hops that they used 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that already changes those kinds of beers quite dramatically. And we didn't have, you know, we have access when they didn't have access to pure cultures of yeast. Mm-hmm. So that probably changed things dramatically. And stainless steel hadn't been invented. Mm-hmm. Copper was expensive and hard to come by. So just the vessels they used were different than what we use today. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know this number for sure, but I think it's pretty close to zero of the number of people who still have a wooden mash ton. 
I was at Hook Norton and they they have a, a wooden mast and it's it's um I don't think they use it. They also had a coal fired uh kettle. Yeah. As well. And that's so, you know, so that's a hundred and fifty years ago, hundred and seventy years ago. Yeah. Yeah, Hook Norton's awesome. Uh but you know, most of the people who still have that old equipment. You know, if they use it, it's very infrequently. It's for specialty mm-hmm. things. Right. And, you know, it, it just it's too difficult for us in this day and age to brew like they did 500 or 1,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brewed a, a sati yesterday, and we went as traditional as possible, including heating up rocks, getting them red hot, mm-hmm. and dropping them into the mash to bring the mash temperature up. Right. So... Yeah, we went super old school. It's <laughs> being fermented in wood as we speak. Um, oh, yeah. We used a, a kvike yeast mm-hmm. like they have on the rings that they would, you know, put in. Right. So yeah, it's. You went super even authentic. that beer. Hmm? You went super authentic. Yeah. Well, we did. We did use a pump and hoses and uh, mm-hmm. we didn't boil because mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't boil those beers traditionally. Mm-hmm. So. We skipped that part, but we did run off into our kettle to collect. You know, we didn't use a wooden trough, <laughs> but, you know, we tried to keep it as as authentic to how they might have brewed 500 years ago as we could. You mm-hmm. know, we heated the rocks with, with oak mm-hmm. and madrone, and uh-huh. we didn't have access to the kind of juniper that they used. So instead, I went out and cut redwood branches because that's what we have mm-hmm. locally that are available. Mm-hmm. And use those at the bottom of the mash tun to to filter the beer. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. Well, so if somebody wanted to make uh, sati, uh, what's a what's a basic recipe they could start with? Well, a lot of the satis are they they use either there's a malt made somewhere in Scandinavia that's especially especially for those kinds of beers, but that's hard to get here. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the recipes that I looked at had Pilsner malt and some rye malt. Right. And the rye malt is usually a little bit darker. And then some of, some folks would throw in some, some dark malt. Um, and we did ours. It was about 30% dark rye, a little handful of uh, some special bee, just a tiny bit. And then the rest was Pilsner malt. But there are a couple books that are really good. This Viking Age Brewing. Mm. book this is a great book uh has all kinds of good recipes and history of that kind of beer in there and then of course there's there's lars's book Mm -hmm. which anybody who doesn't have it should have it because it's just so awesome and i think lars was his blog was where i first got turned on to this this notion of how different ancient beers were or Mm -hmm. or you know the old brewing techniques and they're they're just substantially different when you don't have you know, most brewers had a very small metal pot, so they would do a separate wort boil with hops if they used hops at all, or, mm-hmm. you know, some spices they might boil in there and add that back into the main. But the main, you know, mash wasn't boiled. They mm-hmm. would heat it with hot rocks and not boil and then pour that, you know, that side batch in and then send it off to the wooden fermenters. And did they use uh, unmalted grains as well in sake? Yeah, there was. There's some discussion about unmalted grains. Um, 
the literature on that kind of beer is scant, as, as it is on a lot of beers when you go back, you know, more than about 500 years. Um, a lot of the records they have were, you know, for bookkeeping, mm-hmm. not necessarily recipes and things. And oftentimes the brewers would guard those uh, recipes as secrets. Uh, some are even making, you know, their own secret language to write their recipes in. And so, you know, it's hard to discern what the recipe might have been. Um, most of what we know about satis and those kinds of beers have been handed down in family traditions. And mm-hmm. there's still quite a few farmhouse uh, brewers still making these beers throughout, you know, Scandinavia. And probably in reality, that method of making beer, you know, heating up the mash with hot stones, probably was all across the European continent as well, because people just, they didn't have big metal vessels. Mm-hmm. And so they had to use wood and Last time I tried heating, you know, wood over a fire, it, you know, didn't work so well. <laughs> so, you, you know, they, you got no other choice. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you have very limited ways to heat that mash up. And because they didn't have big enough vessels to boil the entire amount, they would either not boil at all, any of it, or they'd boil in a separate smaller container. Mm-hmm. And so you had, you know, what they call now raw beer. Mm-hmm. And some people will say, well, you know, aren't they worried about infection? Well, didn't even know about infection, so they, they weren't worried about worry it. About it, yeah. And I suspect that 500 or 1,000 years ago, there were really t- kind of two real types of beer. There was either your lighter beers that were slightly sour, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the age right. and how long they, you know, had been allowed to become sour, or, you know, big, strong beers that had alcohol to protect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, 500 years ago, most breweries didn't use hops. So... Mm-hmm the antimicrobial, you know, effect that hops have, you know, wasn't part of the the game. Mm -hmm. They used other herbs, some of which were antimicrobial, but a lot of which, you know, just weren't. So a lot of the commercial satis nowadays are around 8%. Um, Do you think the more historic sati was lower or higher in ABV or or around 8%? I'd guess somewhere in between six and nine, you know, so eight's a, a kind of good middle number. Mm-hmm. If you dip too much below six, you know, lactic acid bacteria will start, you know, to, to do its job. Mm-hmm. And without hops, it'll start even quicker. Mm-hmm. And above, you know, seven or eight, you, you retard that some. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that they're, they're pretty big and they, I don't think they'd be a whole lot bigger than nine or 10, you know, percent alcohol, because now you're putting a lot of material in mm-hmm. which you know is keeps the bacteria at bay but it's also a lot more you know cost intensive mm-hmm. and you got to think about brewing a beer like that 500 or a thousand years ago you had to cut your own wood grow your own malt grow your own hops if you're going to use hops or herbs or go out and pick them you know the the juniper branches they used for sati as a you know, a filter bed. And there's records of breweries in Germany and uh, the continent using similar methods with, you know, branches for filter beds. You had to go out and pick those yourself. So your brew day wasn't easy. You had to, you know, split wood, dry it, (laughs) grow your malt, dry it, malt it, 
you know, because you can't just make mm-hmm. beer with grain. You have to malt it. And then you either have to dry it in the summer out in the sun and make what was called in Germany anyway, Luft malt, which is air malt that they dried out in the air. Or you had to have build a fire with your wood that you've collected and then, you know, dry and you mm-hmm. know, roast your malt that way. So it was a lot of labor. <laughs> and then you had to find all your rocks and not every mm-hmm. rock is going to work for this. You know, for this right. sati we did, I went down on the bottom of our property. We got 28 acres, so we had some room. And I collected a bunch of different rocks and took them home and put them into my, my forge at home and found out which ones would explode when <laughs> added to liquid. Did which, you have a bunch explode? Yeah, a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of dramatic. Um, but I didn't want to do that in the beer. So mm-hmm. it turns out there are different types of rocks that are able to take that thermal shock a lot better. Mm-hmm. So you have to then handpick all your rocks and know right. what you're looking for and then build a big fire to heat them up. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, uh, did you add any hops to this, this sati you brewed? We did. We added uh, some hops in the mash, which was kind of fun, which was a, kind of a traditional thing. And I'm not sure how much, you know, how many IBUs we're going to get out of that. Mm-hmm. And then we did put some into the, the kettle or our collection, you know, vessel while we were running off. And those will probably even have less effect because, you know, the, the word had cooled down some. Mm-hmm. But there's right. definitely some hops in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there'll be more aroma than bitterness. Mm-hmm. When, do you, when do you think this beer will be ready? You know, that's hard to say. Uh, yeah. The, the Kvike yeast is known for being quick. And uh-huh. uh, I checked it this morning. It's fermenting. And hopefully it'll be ready in a couple of weeks, like, a you know, a what we consider a normal beer nowadays. Right. But we, we made a, a Berliner Weiss this way a few months back. Well, actually, about a year ago. And because of the co-fermentation with lactic acid bacteria, brewer's yeast, and Britannomyces, that beer sat there for nine months before it came, you know, all together. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot longer than we thought, but it was, you know, similarly produced, you know, and it was raw, no boil. And uh, it was quite an interesting beer. It sold well, so people must have liked it, at least some. <laughs> Well, I want to ask you about a uh, another Viking, you know, time beer. Uh, but first, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll get more of historic beers right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all green brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack 
stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, historic beers with uh, my good friend and uh, tremendous brewer and author, uh, uh, Fal Allen from Anderson Valley Brewing Company. Um, so before the break, uh, what was it that, that Vikings drank? Is it the Gotland Strika? Uh, is that, is that, you know, the, the supposed Viking beer? Yeah. You know, cause you see in movies and stuff, they're all drinking mead, but at some point they started drinking beer, right? Is that, you, you think mead was before that or? It's hard. It's hard to tell. They, you know, there's a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. One of the problems is finding that information. And then of course, trusting that information because right. Uh, I just read an article that uh, talks about this book. Mm-hmm. Did you read that article? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. How, you know, that Lambic brewers are wrong about almost everything. Right. And- about the origins of Lambic. And yeah, yeah. Um, Martin. Uh, yeah. Cornell, uh, he, he posted a thing, too. I thought it was fascinating. He kind of went over the, the things in the book. And, you know. Turns out this book is now worth about $1,400. So right. I'm going on vacation when I sell it. <laughs> but, but you know, when this book first came out, it's, you know, it's a great book. And it's got, you know, well-documented. But, you know, the argument is that they chose the things to document that they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that really there's a different history to Lambics. And so even though something this thick, this good with all, you know, Mm-hmm. high quality with pictures and everything you think it's it's right but now there is a question is it right so right. It, it it really depends on who you believe and who you listen to and i found that when i was researching the goza book that there's a lot of opinions out there and a lot of things are written down and sometimes they're even contradictory so you have to kind of sift through and as a brewer apply what you know about brewing to what the records say and say well you know you know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that Goza was sour because mm-hmm. it was a low alcohol beer that was made, you know, somewhere starting, you know, 900 or a thousand years ago. And they didn't know anything about sanitation. So any beer that sat long enough was sour. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Right. 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 But you read other people that say, oh, no, it wasn't a sour beer. And you have to imagine how a three percent beer. Unless it was consumed almost immediately could right. be anything Lots else sour. but sour. Right. Well, I so, imagine they, they generally consume the, the lighter beers fairly quickly after brewing. You know, the, the stronger beers were the ones for aging and keeping, um, yeah. you know, depending on the seasons, things like that. But even then, you know, by the time you, you ferment out a beer like that, you know, with questionable 
amounts of yeast. It, it probably, you know, you're, you probably have a ton of bacteria in there just to start with. Um, yeah, I imagine it, it had some sourness even after just a few days. And it, I think, you know, when we co-fermented that, that Berliner Weiss, the Saccharomyces took off. And that was what expressed itself first. Mm-hmm. And the lactic acid bacteria was quick, pretty quick behind it. So mm-hmm. within a few days, that, that beer had already started to show a little sourness. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very low-gravity beer and didn't have a lot of alcohol or a lot of hops. And it then took about six months for the Bertonomyces to start showing. Mm-hmm. So you probably could have made a strong, dark beer, you know, and not had a lot of effect from the lactic acid bacteria and stored it for, you know, three to six months. But after that time, you have to start worrying about other things, you know, like Britannomyces is going to start to work. And so any beer that got to be a couple years old, I would think would probably have some, some, some sourness and some, some Brett flavor, mm-hmm. which sounds perfect to me. <laughs> well, and you know, so all these older beers, um, like, uh, Grodziski and, uh, you know, uh, Grisette and, um, you know, a lot of these, one of the common things you see is, you know, smoky in the descriptor, uh, smoky, sour, some of them weren't sour, you know, um, and really, I guess that's, you know, from the malt processing, you know, it, it was until they came up with, with coal or, or Coke to, to malt their, uh, grains heat their grains dry their grains they pretty much everything except for uh, uh the air dried malt you mentioned uh would have been smoky yeah that that's my belief um i've had discussions with some other folks uh who have said that that might not be the case necessarily that they have drawings of ways that they would have indirect heat dry the malt mm-hmm. and i think that that was probably true in the 17th and 18th 19th century maybe not the 17th but definitely the 18th and 19th century but prior to that if you go back you know far enough i don't i'm not sure that they had that technology and even if they had it it would have been on a much smaller scale because it would have been just too difficult to to build some of these things mm-hmm. well and you know, it was a world where everything was smoky. You know, that was the only way you cooked. That was the only way you heated things. So you had fires going all the time. So it was just part of your environment. So you, you yeah. smell a lot of smoke. You don't mind it in you know, things you're drinking. It, it just seems part of the natural world, I would, I would imagine. And- like a lot of things, you're probably less aware of it because it surrounds you all the time. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't, you know, if you walked into a tavern in, you know, 1550, first of all, no one had bathed in, you know, right. nine months to a year. So you had that, that aroma going on. Uh-huh. And then there was a fire going if it was winter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've cooked, like you said, you've been cooking in the same clothes you've been wearing mm-hmm. for, I don't know, weeks, months, and they're smoky. You've been warming yourself with fire. So everything was smoky and sweaty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hardly noticed that the beer was infected. That the, the beer was smoky and sweaty. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I get back to uh, the Gotland Strika. Uh, the description I, I see is smoky, bitter, sweet, uh, with juniper. Um, so like sati, but uh, what what's the difference between those? You know, I don't I don't know if I'm capable of answering that. I know that they're different styles with different recipes uh, from Scandinavia, but different areas. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the sati is a darker beer mm -hmm. that's a little heavier and a little less smoky. Although I think, as we pointed out, it probably was smoky. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day so i wanted to try and make one of those but i thought that the name was so unusual and we would have trouble selling it right uh, we found that some of these these ancient beers don't go over like uh like like an ipa yeah <laughs> well we'll have to do it i'll, I'll come down with a five gallon uh brew kit and we'll, we'll brew five gallons Absolutely. Sure you That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, we we brewed Grajitsky. I've been on this kind of two-year program of brewing some of these ancient beers. Mm -hmm. And we brewed a Grajitsky, which, you know, 90% of the people are like, oh, no, 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 no. The other 10% love it. Mm -hmm. And even when I've been able to convince a bar owner or a pub owner, you know, to take it on, because they love it, they they end up drinking most of it themselves at the bar. And that's that's a smoked wheat beer. Now now yeah. a wheat a wheat uh, like in hefeweizen or more like a you know like a regular ale or a lager. It, it's more like a regular ale. You know, it's supposed to be uh, hoppy and smoky, mm -hmm. and and it's a hundred percent oak smoked wheat. Mm -hmm. Now Vireman makes an oak smoked wheat just for people who want to make these beers quite a nice malt and that's what we used and kind of in my opinion it's a nicely done lightly smoked malt but for a lot of people it's just it's just a bridge too far hmm. um and that coupled with um the fact that it's like 2.8 to 3.5 percent alcohol right it's a hard sell at a at a retail place mm -hmm. you know a lot of the the bar owners i know say that people come in and say basically what's your strongest ipa yeah well it, it costs you probably the same to make a you know uh average ipa as it does you know the gritzitsky uh you know cost wise you know may, maybe even more and a lower abv people don't care they 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 want alcohol yeah. all the claims of session beers and all that people want alcohol it's yeah, it's true. Funny. People drink for the alcohol. Well, yeah. Um, I enjoy these lower alcohol beers because I like the the act of hanging out and drinking. Yeah, I don't want to be, you know, loopy on my fourth beer. So I I like the low alcohol beers, but there are a lot of people who come in and you know they they want to order an IPA for whatever reason and they want it to be strong. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, you hear stories of people drinking, you know, gallons of beer per day. And, you know, mainly. And so I've heard, oh, it's because, you know, you couldn't drink the water. And then there's other things that say, no, they just, you know, they like to catch a little buzz throughout the day. Others for the nutrients, you know, uh, it was, you know, replaced meals for a lot of people. 
let's go back to uh, the grzyski you uh, you made. What was your your recipe on that? What's a general recipe if people wanted to try that sort of beer? It was just a hundred percent of that oak smoke, sweet malt, oh, and yeah. uh, a you know a decent amount of hops. And I knew that I didn't want to I didn't want to use a low alpha acid hop like they probably did back in the day because there's a lot of when you're boiling a lot of vegetable matter you get a veggie flavor right so i went for a higher alpha acid hop which they probably wouldn't have had you know well they definitely wouldn't have had a couple hundred years ago but i knew that it was going to be a challenge selling this beer anyway so (laughs) i wanted to keep it you know as Mm -hmm. as crisp and sharp as i could and not too veggie Mm-hmm. And what, what kind of hops do you tend to favor on these older beers do you, or these, these historic styles? When you, you obviously can't get the hops that they used, but do you tend to choose things in like a noble hop variety, something citrusy, something piney, something? You're certainly not going for like Simcoe and Mosaic, I, I don't think. No, no. <laughs> um, for the Grajitsky, I used Magnum. which is it's you know high alpha Mm -hmm. pretty low flavor impact it's got a low cohumulone so the the bitterness is not harsh um and i like that hop for a kind of a neutral hop but they certainly wouldn't have had something like that around so if you're going to make something a little more traditional the things that are still around are things like fuggles and goldings um those have some nice kind of outdoorsy you know, grassy flavors. And then there's some, there's some German styles that we can get that are lower alpha acid that I think would probably have been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam in the chat writes, uh, it kills me why so many people don't like smoked beers, but love smoked meats. I love me some smoked beers. Please do it at least on the small system. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to take us a while to sell through the Grajitsky, so come on by and help us. Yeah. Go on down, Adam. Uh, have a couple of pints. Yeah. Well, and you could probably have eight pints since it's, uh, what, around 3%? It's like three, 3.2%. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a ton of flavor. And, you know, that's, that's what I love about a lot of the British ales. I'm such a big fan of, uh, you know, traditional British cask ale. It's just, I, I can drink a ton of it, a ton of flavor, uh, real interesting beers. Uh, let's do this. Uh, let's take our second short break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about historic beers right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're Fal Allen talking about uh, historic beers. Uh, Mike uh, asked in the chat, he says, some breweries uh, go way over the top on smoke. I like some smoke with my beer, but I don't want my beer to taste like smoked sausage. I like smoked sausage. Yeah. I, I, anytime smoke's brought up, I've got to keep bringing up my story of, uh, I was in Houston for, I think it was the Dixie cup. And, uh, 
uh, I, when I got there, it was late. I went and had some, some barbecue. And in the morning they, they had, uh, at the, at the competition, they had a, a buffet, uh, in the afternoon that was all sorts of smoked, all sorts of foods that people brought to share. And, and one was this smoked chicken that was absolutely black with smoke. And uh, when I was there, somebody, I, I was just recently in Houston, was talking to somebody and they, they go, oh yeah, it's such and such, it's chicken. And the smoke on that was so intense that after eating all this barbecue and this really intensely smoked chicken, uh, the next morning when I went to pee, I could smell smoke. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very surprising. You know, you get the asparagus pee, well, you can get smoke pee too. So um, challenge on. Yes, I'm gonna have to <laughs> you work can... for that. <laughs> but I, I kind of agree with him that I think a lot of breweries do go too far, mm-hmm. and you know, a, as a brewer, we're all subject to the I want to add a little bit more mm-hmm. syndrome. Which I found myself yesterday thinking about this sati. I thought, well, we could add this, or we could add that, or you know, they used herbs. Maybe we should add some sweet gale. <laughs> But by and large, and, you know, when, when brewers ask me, you know, if I have any brewing advice other than keep it clean is remain calm and even handed, you know, resist that urge to go over the top. Because, you know, if you make 100 percent smoked Rauch beer with mm-hmm. that malt, it's just going to be too smoky, mm-hmm. you know, or if you use peated malt and use any more than just a few, you know, one or two percent it's going to be intense and sure that's kind of fun for a sip or two, Mm -hmm. but nobody wants a pint (laughs) of some of these crazy beers that folks are making, you know, it's too far. Yeah. It it, it can be a bit much. And the same goes with sourness, right? So, uh, you know, I had somebody tell me that, well, the intense, you know, enamel stripping sourness was, you know, American sour. I'm like, no, no, no. It's that it's just, just wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's just wrong. Yeah. I enjoy a good sour beer, but not, not when it's, when it's that, that intense. Uh, I think you say the same thing with hops, you know, right. you need balance. And if you have mm-hmm. something that's just this giant hop bomb, it's too bitter, too floral, just too over the top. I think, you know, sure. Interesting for a couple sips, but the brewer missed the mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, balance balance is is critical in brewing. I think no matter what what type of beer you're doing. Let's talk uh, about uh, another one: uh, sour and smoky. Uh, the the Lichtenheiner, uh, yeah. sour, smoky, a third each of pilsner, wheat, and smoke malt. Um, where where does that one come from? It comes out of that kind of area, Eastern Germany, um, South. South part of that, um, kind of like the Grudzitski, just I think a little mm-hmm. west of there. There's uh, there's a beer like that that's not smoky, that's just sour. Then there's a beer that's smoky. You know, one smoky, one is sour, and this is a combination of the two, which I think mm-hmm. is very intriguing. I've only right. had that a few times. Even here in the U.S., there are not a lot of craft brewers making them, mm-hmm. but I thought it was an intriguing combination of flavors. Well, and it's difficult to get balance between sour, smoky, hoppy, you yeah. know, especially, you know, 
anything that that uses uh you know a, a, a phenolic yeast you know that's that's another element to balance in there and that you know the the phenols from the smoke and the acidity of the sour and uh you know it's it's got to be tricky i i've i've not i've not had any and i'm you know, i'm curious you know uh where to where to find some of these and i'm i'm also fascinated at, at the number of these beers that are coming up now because it seemed like a lot for a long time you know these weren't on anybody's radar I don't, yeah i don't think they were on people's radar they certainly weren't on mine um even as little as 10 years ago mm-hmm. but you know i judge a lot for the world beer cup or the gabf or other things and a few years ago i was judging the world beer cup and going down the list and thinking you know i'm no longer a young brewer i'm Let's let's say middle age brewer, <laughs> and I thought, you know, I've made a lot of these beers, and I haven't made this whole list here. And so I picked out the ones I, I'd never made mm. that I thought would be fun. So the Grajitski and the Sati, and um, we did a, a Dutch Kite beer. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, um, but we made you know we made this whole historic set of beers, and there there are since a few more on that list that have mm-hmm. come up which I'd like to try. I think Schoops, a German Schoops beer. Mm, um, yeah. Uh-huh. And so what's, you know, you brought, you touched on a point a minute ago, you hadn't had some of these. And the only ones that I've had of some of them are either my own or someone else's recreation of the style. Mm-hmm. And I suppose to some degree, that's true no matter what, because even if you go to the source, it's a modern brewer brewing that beer. And mm-hmm. although the tradition may be there or may not be, right. you know, it, as discussed earlier, they, they use different ingredients and different techniques and processes. So I think, you know, it's interesting to try the beers at the source, but oftentimes the only, the only source we have is our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess, uh, you know, we'll never know on some of these, yeah, the, like you said, there's not a, a lot written down about them and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, evidence to go by, um, other than, you know, common sense brewing knowledge and knowledge of how brewing was done back then. Uh, even, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, brewing was different yeah. and the ingredients were different and, you know, the way that they recorded their, their information was you know, different, different ways of, uh, you know, sourcing materials. And just the, you know, they didn't use kilos, certainly mm-hmm. in right. their notes. So and weird bushels and things, yeah. like that, you know, things that, you know, sometimes there aren't any records of what that exactly meant. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are, but they're all in measurements that are unfamiliar to us. Like you said, bushels and bales and, you know, different things. So it's hard to decipher some of these recipes. And, you know, when, when Dick Cantwell and I were doing research for the barley wine book, we were lucky enough to get into the Bass Museum mm-hmm. and some of their archives. And, you know, the things that we were reading were like, I don't see how this is possible. You know, they're making like 40 barrels of beer and they're putting in like nine bushels of hops. Mm-hmm. And so some of it's just kind of like, mm, all right. So how much is that? And how much is that? How much, is a, how much like? is a cubit of uh, of malt? 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. And I, I like, you know, trying uh, old recipes and, and things like that. Um, it's always, always interesting to me. What other, what other historic beers have you, have you tried? And what about that Dutch one? You said you, there was a Dutch one that I, I hadn't heard of before. Yeah. I, you know, it's spelled K U Y T. It's spelled actually a bunch of different ways, but the spelling we chose was K U Y T uh-huh. and it's an oat beer and it's, oh. I forget exactly what the percentage is, but I, th- I think it's 60 or 70% oats or more. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of oats. Yeah. And, so we were a little nervous when we made it. And in some countries, oats were used as an adjunct. You know, they weren't as good as the malt. The cheaper mm-hmm. beers would have oats in, in them. And then in other countries where they're growing much higher quality oat, they would actually, you know, use it to enhance the flavors of the beers. So it's kind of hard to tell where this one falls. It's probably in the latter where they are trying, you know, they had a good flavored beer come from the oats. But with that much oats... You're going to have to use some rice hulls in there Mm -hmm. or be prepared to, you know, run off for quite a few hours. (laughs) So it was, you know, it was an interesting beer. They're supposed to be very hoppy and they were very kind of rich in flavor from the oats. Mm -hmm. And we managed to sell through it quite quickly. So it's one of the few that uh, we might actually do again. What ABV? Uh, It was like six. Mm -hmm. You know, not too big. And and did you use like flaked oats or did you use any malted oats? We didn't use any malted oats. We used a lot of uh, flaked and some rolled oats, mm-hmm. you know, the pre-gelatinized. Right. So it made it a little bit easier for us. And we used a lot of rice hulls, which mm-hmm. I think is a, in anybody who isn't using rice hulls. Um, it's a great additive, has very, you know, almost no flavor, maybe none. Right, and right. it really builds a nice mash bed. So we use it on any of our beers that are going to be more than about 6% alcohol. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, use varying amounts and it helps build that mash bed and makes your runoff just so much easier. Right. Um, right. So we use those in there and it's supposed to be an intensely bitter beer. And they talk about boil times of up to three hours. So we boiled for with hops for about two hours. Mm. So, you know, two and a half hour boil with two hours of hops. Interesting. I'm going to have to try that one because it does sound like it could be quite good. I'm always fascinated by, by these things. And, and I think yeah, th- there are a lot of these beer styles out there mm-hmm. that have been, some of them completely lost and there's only names. And then other ones that there is some, you know, detail that you can dig up and a lot of folks haven't, you know, dug them up yet. Mm-hmm. But most of the beers we've talked about today, 20 years ago, I'd you know never heard of and most people have never heard of. Right. And it's folks doing research for some of the, the books that have found them mm-hmm. either kind of collaterally or it's been what they've been looking for. I know when we did the research for, for the Goza book, I found a lot of information that wasn't necessarily related to Goza but really kind of piqued my interest interest mm-hmm. like the uh that sour smoky beer the lichtenheim mm-hmm. which i thought would you know be a very interesting beer right 
And when, when you brew these, um, how are you getting the souring? Are you pitching a, like a, a lacto culture or what are you, what are you doing for uh, the souring? It kind of depends on the beers. So for our gozas, we do the, you know, the kettle sours mm-hmm. in house with a, you know, a, a lactic acid bacteria that, you know, we know exactly what it is. And for some of these other ones, we will sometimes just kind of let things go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll co-ferment. So we'll pitch some of that lactic in uh, with the rest of the, the yeast and things. So it really kind of depends on the beer. Um, we've had limited success with culturing bacteria from the property. We do have a culture that we use that's kind of a multi-culture that we've, we've harvested from the property. Mm-hmm. But it, it gives varying results too. So I guess, you know, it kind of depends on what you're going for. We've tried pretty much every approach out there with, with varying success. Right. What's your favorite on souring a lower alcohol beer? I really like the, the Mm co-fermenting. I think, you know, if you have the capability of doing that, you get the most interesting flavors. And like we did with the, the Berliner Weiss, those flavors kind of melded very nicely and so you get a little bit of the kind of sharp because we pitched it with lactic we didn't just let it you know come out from the wood we pitched it so we got a nice kind of clean intensity but it also since it was co-fermented and it was in wood the entire time it it brought out some of the other flavors that uh you might not get from like just a a kettle sour Mm -hmm. interesting those kind of you know wood soured beers whether you're pitching them or not, they take a lot longer. You got to be patient. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeast-wise, you're you're going with. Um, uh, I mean, it just depends, I guess, on on the beer. You mentioned Kvike, uh, uh but uh, you know, I imagine you could use, uh, you know, any almost any ale yeast in in a lot of these. Yeah, we use our house yeast for things that aren't necessarily yeast driven. Mm -hmm. Um, A few months back, we had a homebrew contest here and the winner had a Saison that was very yeast driven in flavor. And when, you know, the the winner gets to brew the beer here at the brewery. So he came and brought the yeast with him and it was a Lollamans dried yeast. Mm -hmm. And I'd tried dried yeast in the past some and had, you know, varying success, mostly not great. Uh, But this Lollamans technology you know they've they've those dried yeast come a long way yeah and Lollamans is making some really nice ones so i was very impressed with that saison yeast that we used from them and when we went to do the sati yesterday i got some of their uh kvike yeast mm-hmm. and you know it's it's not cheap but i think the quality is is good and that if you're not constantly brewing if you're not a professional brewer it used to be that you didn't have very many options but now with these dried yeasts i think they're good enough and inexpensive enough that you can use them to brew at home or to brew it commercially and not have to worry about saving your yeast, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, can be difficult. Right. Particularly yeah. for home brewers. The cost of a pitch, you know, you know, it's, it's uh, significant. And, it, you know, commercially when you can, you know, reuse uh, your yeast many times as a home brewer, that can be tricky if, unless yeah. you want, you know, a hundred gallons of Saison. Yeah. 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 
end up having to just uh, uh, dump the yeast. Speaking of yeast and where you can get all that, all these ingredients that we talked about, I bet you you can get them through my good friends uh, at uh, Josh and RJ at Brew Chatter. I don't know if you've you've been up to Reno uh, Fowl recently. There's a, I have, and shout out to Brewers Cabinet up there. Brewers Cabinet, yes, yeah, I've been good guys many times. Beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy the Brewers Cabinet, um, uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm sure every once in a while, uh, they uh, at at Brew Chatter, they probably have some of that beer on available in their store. They got a little bar in there. Yeah. I got, uh, and they got all the ingredients, fresh ingredients, lots of knowledge, really nice guys. Uh, they're a sponsor of this show. So uh, next time you're up in Reno, swing by Brewer's, uh, or, uh, well, Brewer's Cabinet and uh, our friends at, uh, you know, Revision and, uh, you know, Lead Dog and, oh, man, I, I draw a blank on all. It, there's too many great breweries up there. Yeah, breweries, really. Distilleries, fun place. Yeah, stop in, really... at, uh, stop in at at uh, uh, Brew Chatter and tell them I sent you. Yeah. So sorry, go ahead. You no, know, Reno's really changed a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. last ten years, there's just there's a ton of good places and a ton of good breweries up there, and uh, a lot to do. Yeah, I remember uh, I used to go up there to judge with the uh, Washoe Zephyr Zymergists in the homebrew yeah. club up there, and uh, uh, you know. Pretty much back then, the only place there was uh, Tom's uh, uh, place, uh, Great Basin. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was great, but, you know, it was kind of the only one. And then, uh, but, you know, a lot of passion home brewers now, they're opening up places. And, yeah, the whole scene has really changed. Reno's, Reno's kind of come a long way uh, when it comes to, you know, food and, and beverages. Yeah. Beer great. NV, also a great place with a lot of beers. Yes, beer in the yeah, just you you could spend a week up there and not hit all the great places. And then you know you could also hit some not so great places on purpose. Oh, sure. good, good dive bar scene up there too. <laughs> all right, one more short break, and uh, then we'll wrap up uh, talking about historic beers right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. Uh, we're talking historic beers. Um, what should people know as they, if they want to get into finding more of these historic beers? You mentioned a couple of good books. Um, is there anybody, any websites or things like that are really tracking this sort of thing? Are there competitions for ancient styles? <laughs> I'm sure there are competitions for ancient styles somewhere. And I don't know of any websites, um, but there are there are a lot of good books. And uh, your Gosa book for one. Oh, yeah, the Gosa book. Definitely. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, History of Beer and Brewing. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the Barbarian's Beverage. Mm-hmm. And some of these have, you know, limited knowledge for techniques and recipes, but they do talk about a lot of these beers and put them into a kind of a cultural context, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that you might want to make a Viking beer is because you think the culture is cool. And, you know, 
or you have relatives or something or it's in your your ancestry sure yeah. and i you know there's i think pretty much around the globe everybody was making some sort of you know fermented beverage mm -hmm. 500 1000 years ago and i think a lot of these have been forgotten or are now so hyperly locally made that people don't know about them like you know a lot of these scandinavian beers were just completely unknown because no one had written about them. They're still being made in farmhouses, but <clears throat> nobody had documented them very well. I know that Lars, when he went to start documenting them, he had some, some trouble and he, he actually went out to a lot of these farmhouses and hung out and brewed with them. And that's, that's kind of one of the things that makes his book so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, it is a really good book. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you're interested in, in brewing, you should be interested in the history of brewing because it's amazing how it changed. I was just working on a presentation I have to do. And one of the things, one of my slides was just in the last 10 years, the all the trendy things that have come up, you know, back a decade ago, it was still like the big thing was, you know, double IPA you know, triple IPA. Ooh. And then, and then it started going into you know, a lot of the sours, pastry stouts, the smoothies, the, you know, seltzers, all these things in a decade, very rapidly. Um, just the acceleration of people exploring new styles and, and different, you know, brewing. Um, it's fascinating. And a lot of it comes from, you know, historic beers. You know, the smoky, the sour, all those things. So it's kind of cool. All right. Uh, if you enjoy this show, you enjoy listening to it, make sure that you check out our sponsors, uh, Blickman Engineering, BlickmanEngineering.com. You can send a nice email to feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Go straight to John Blickman himself, and he gets to hear, you know, how good or horrible the show is that he pays for. And uh, also check out our friends, uh, Josh and RJ at, at Brew Chatter. If you're up around Reno, it's, they're actually in Sparks. Um, you uh, uh, stop in there. Uh, they'll have great beer on. Really super friendly guys. Uh, very knowledgeable. And they'll have everything you need to brew. A lot of these historic beers. If they don't have it in the shop, they'll get it for you. Uh, so go check them out. Until then, everyone, brew strong. Brew strong.